Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Bill Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guests for this episode are Aidan Altman and Andrew McClure, the founders of up-and-coming plant-based food startup, Fora. Their signature fava butter is made using aquafaba, the starchy water that comes in cans of chickpeas and is palm oil free. Two traits that set their product ahead of many other butter alternatives on the market today. The ingredient list of fava butter isn't the only thing that make Andrew and Aiden's company unique. Unlike many of the other entrepreneurs who I've interviewed on my show, Andrew and Aiden don't have years of experience in the plant-based food world. In fact, the pair only graduated from college back in 2015. Despite their young age, they share a remarkable knowledge of the plant-based food market, and I have to say, their fava butter is one of the best vegan butters I've tried. In this conversation, we talk about what motivated Andrew and Aiden to start a food company, and what they learned from other existing butter substitutes to help guide their own ingredient list and marketing decisions. We get into the struggles of launching a food startup, and what they have done to start building their brand from the ground up. I also get their take on how Fora will stay original in the face of an increasingly saturated dairy alternative sector, and marketing tips and advice that they have picked up so far along their journey. Aiden and Andrew are on a mission to reinvent the butter category, and based on this conversation, I would say that they're definitely poised to do just that. Aiden and Andrew from Fora Foods, thank you so much for being on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Sheesh. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be here. So let's start with what is Fora Foods? Um, tell me tell me the backstory of this this company that is uh, that most of our listeners probably have never heard of until now. Yep. Sure. Yeah, we, we started Fora uh, is to replace uh, dairy products um, with, with more sustainable plant-based alternatives. Um, so Andrew and I are both vegan. Uh, we see this uh, product as an opportunity to come into the market and replace the unsustainable industrial animal ag uh, model with something more sustainable. Um, and we know the only way to do so is by uh, you know, offering these one-to-one replacers to their counterparts, to their dairy counterparts. Um, so our first product is our faba butter. All right. And we really started with butter because we wanted something that reminded us of home. Mm-hmm. Something that we grew up with, something that was recognizable and friendly, and yeah. butter was just the the number one. Yeah, I mean, choice. I can't I can't disagree with the purpose behind that, and you know, butter. Who doesn't love butter? Um, uh, and we need better forms of butter, especially more sustainable butter with better nutritional content. Um, sure. So I understand the need for that. What made you both think that you could start a food company? Because you guys are relatively young. Yeah. Uh, this is your f- First food company, I'm assuming. So this is my second food company. Second food company. My third business altogether. Okay, um, so you're not new to the entrepreneurship game, but um, this is your first foray into a plant-based replacement kind of product. Exactly. Uh, so, so looking back, um, I really think you know the, my first food company was just like an almond company with some international spices, and that's actually still running right now in Chicago, uh, but it was great. You know, I worked I, my first business. Uh, we did a lot of 
I don't want to get into it too much with the details. And just so that listeners know who's talking, this is Aiden, so you can this recognize the voices. And this is Andrew. <laughs> All right. Yeah so, yeah, so my first business, we did sales of this product online internationally, and I kind of learned all you know logistics and fulfillment. The second product was obviously a food product where I learned you know supply chain and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was able to really leverage a lot of the skills and knowledge I had into this new venture um, where, you know, and, and Andrew was working in food M&A before this too. Hmm. So we both kind of have like the, the you know, uh, scope of the food world down from the entrepreneurial side and from, you know, the, the M&A investment banking side. Um, so we were able to take a lot of that and put it into this new business to really like launch effectively and at scale. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason that this partnership works is that we have distinct, yeah, complementary skill sets. I mean, I cut my teeth in investment banking for two years. Uh, the 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 horror show nights that come with that, anyone that you speak to that did that, uh, it's an exciting, brutal, but uh, learning-packed experience. So quantitative reasoning, financial modeling, looking at a business from a strategic level uh, bringing all of those skills to here. And then obviously Aiden was an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. you can't really quantify the the skills that you pick up even six months doing that on mm-hmm. your own. You're and right. Andrew's used to the late nights of the entrepreneur anyhow. Yeah. yeah we, gr- we grind together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I started my uh, career in a law firm and would work a lot with investment bankers as well right. in some deals. And it was always kind of a strange competition on who could uh, work the most hours. And yeah. Both were losing, actually. <laughs> and I mean, you were probably winning that competition, but losing in life, I think. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you have to grind and that's fine. But it teaches you an important skill that you can then apply uh, later that you need to, especially when you're starting and launching a business, you're going to have those days where you just have to push through and get mm-hmm. way more done in one day than most people probably get done in an entire work week. And uh, once you're able to do that, then you kind of feel you can kind of do anything, which is right. the fun part about entrepreneurship. So how did you then go? So I'm assuming you both went to college together? Yeah, we both uh, went to U of M together, University of Michigan, and graduated in 2015. Got it. Wow. So that's very recently. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> when did this, uh, when did you come up with this idea that we could start, you could start a food company with... Um, not uh, but dairy free options or the dairy free category as mm-hmm. the one that you wanted to pick. When did that idea come about? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, just when I started my first food company, I subscribed to all of the food newsletters and, you know, really kind of dove head first into all of the food books and everything and started learning more about, you know, sustainable food systems. Um, and that kind of sparked my interest in veganism in the first place and thinking how we can use food as a tool uh, to really uh, create a new paradigm essentially. Um, so, and I knew concurrently that Andrew was also vegan and, uh, was really interested in, you know, how food affects your body and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I kind of thought, you know, we looked at, you know, beyond meat, we looked at impossible foods, a lot of really cool meat companies and meat alternatives right now. And we thought a lot of the, uh, dairy products kind of let us down in one way or another, whether they were overly processed, uh, or just didn't taste good or didn't function the same way. So I came to Andrew uh, and I said, listen, I need someone who really understands the financials and, you know, the business plan and all that kind of stuff. Let's work together. Uh, we have a, you know, a similar mission here, uh, the same value system to really like, you know, replace these unsustainable dairy products. And, and then we immediately moved to New York and formulated our recipe within two months in our kitchens, uh, a fully scalable recipe. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you, so you obviously both believed in the same things and that kind of was the common point who which one of you is the the, is better in the kitchen who had the idea that you could even have the skills to come up with some sort of a product was that did you partner with someone for that or one of you developed the original sure uh, product it it took it took a lot of tinkering on both of our ends i mean we were both still working full-time Aiden with his previous venture and me at uh, at Hulhan Loki doing investment banking. Mm-hmm. But uh, the nights were spent collectively scouring the internet for different recipes mm-hmm. and really cobbling them together at first in a pretty messy way and mm-hmm. refining them over those two months, as Aiden said, to get something that tasted good and then actually did what we wanted it to do. Right. And I think we went through probably 
you know, 80 to 100 iterations of our butter before we got it to where it is today. Mm. Um, all while keeping in mind that we needed to have ingredients that were easily scalable and, and easily sourceable so we could mm-hmm. handle, you know, the supply chain and everything. Um, so that was always in the back of our mind. And through the entire formulation process, we were also talking to co-packers and seeing mm. how we could fit that formulation to their machinery. So it was all very orchestrated. And that's because you did have a food background because, you know, that's a very crucial point you mentioned mm-hmm. there because a lot of people assume that they have a great recipe for something and that could then be turned into a product or a company. Some recipes are just meant to be recipes mm-hmm. and right. uh, for several reasons because, and you kind of mentioned some of them right now, is that they can't be replicated uh at you, they can't be scaled mm-hmm. without it costing too much, and there's no way to manufacture that, and no one would be able to manufacture that. So, so you are trying to say basically, when you had the idea, you were keeping in mind how you could create that magic formula of a recipe that would turn into a product that you could then, you know, you know offer out there. Is that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think from the very beginning, we knew how we wanted to develop the product how we wanted to launch it, how we wanted to raise money, mm-hmm. uh, how, you know, food service, retail, all that kind of stuff was, was always uh, being planned out throughout the entire launch process. Um, and we're fortunate enough that, you know, we have this previous experience in the food world, so we're able to launch this quickly and at this kind of scale. Uh, had it not been for that, we wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And yeah. why? So why? What were you looking for from... Um, so that's in terms of the logistics of launching a food company making sure the product that was being developed in a kitchen was then easily replicable and mm-hmm. could turn, scale up and be one that could then be manufactured at, at, at a large scale. What about ingredients? Were you also, did you have any goals in terms of developing a certain kind of ingredient list that would be healthier, tastier, function in a certain way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What were those yeah. goals? We, we both geek out on ingredients for sure and macronutrient profile, we knew if we wanted to create a quote-unquote analog, even though we hate that word, uh, I hate it, that it, word. <laughs> it really does have to match what people are used to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we started with a coconut oil base. I mean, when you look at plant-based ingredients, there's really only two semi-solid fats at room temperature, and it's palm oil. Uh-huh. We talked about that for a while. <laughs> and there's coconut oil. So obviously, our whole mission here centers around sustainability. We're going to dodge palm oil every chance we get. So yeah. start with the coconut oil base, and then it was incorporating this novel ingredient, aquafaba, mm-hmm. which at first was just advertised, as we learn more and more about it, as an emulsifier, but it also thickens, binds, and flavor enhances too. So it's kind of this rock star piece to uh, this recipe. And then from there, it, it really comes to um, very slight seasoning. So sea salt, for example, um, and just tinkering with those three base ingredients mm-hmm. and getting to something that works. Yeah. And, and we decided to really hone in on that aquafaba as a really, you know, we're trying to champion that product beyond what Sir Kensington's has done already. Um, I've been following the aquafaba movement for some time now uh, before we ever even started Fora. Mm-hmm. Um, and through our recipe development process, realized that aquafaba would be our tool to use uh, as a clean label emulsifier to blend the waters and the fats in our product. Um, but beyond that, we were really inspired by that aquafaba movement uh, as well, because if you know anything about it, it's about 300,000 people across the world on Facebook and a blog. <laughs> and it's a really incredible DIY grassroots movement where everyone shares recipes and, you know, it's a trial and error type thing. So mm-hmm. Uh, that largely inspired us to, you know, call our product Faba Butter and pay homage to that movement because in a lot of ways it's what we're doing too. Right. And, you know, for those who don't know what aquafaba is, it's chickpea brine left over from the can of chickpeas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad whoever came up with the, term, the name didn't name it chickpea goo or <laughs> something <laughs> awful like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think we, for, for, for a change, we got, uh, we got something that is plant-based that does seems to have magical properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also kind of sounds okay. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we've heard chickpea juice, chickpea brine, <laughs> broth. Uh, the the list goes on. Yeah, but it, yeah. It's just chickpea juice, folks. Right. That, that's all it is. So yeah. I'm noticing. I I think of this the way you both seem to think is one. You had the the sustainability mission. 
I think you both understand, we talked a little bit about this before we even started recording, you both understand that one of the biggest reasons why we need to develop more plant-based replacements or products mm-hmm. um, is because we're facing an existential crisis as um, as a planet at the moment. And if we don't do something to fix our food system in whatever way that is most effective, we will be in a terrible place in another 10, 20, 30 years mm-hmm. at least. So. One is the sustainability goal, which I get in the dairy industry is, is terrible. And I can I can go on, give stats, but I don't think anyone wants to know about sure. that. Or they should know about that already. <laughs> the second thing I, I see here is that you very clearly wanted to have a, a product that would scale. And you were designing a recipe to achieve that purpose. And for the recipe, you wanted to have clean ingredients to mm-hmm. the extent that was going to be possible. Um, that would keep out unsustainable ingredients, but also keep out unhealthy ingredients. What did you do on that front? I mean, it sounds like your recipe, the, the actual recipe is pretty simple um, yeah. for the butter, at least. Um, is that, did you have to deal with any other um, additives, flavoring agents? Um, how does that work? Or this is, kind of, is, is it what you described? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was as simple as figuring out, I can put it this way. Uh, our ingredient list was much longer at first, mm-hmm. and then we realized we actually didn't need certain things in order to achieve the taste and the functionality that we were really going for and wouldn't stop at anything unless we settled at that. So, yeah, I mean, we use a, a coconut oil base. There is um, a, a liquid oil in there as well that we know for a fact is, <laughs> you know, we're not sharing all of the ingredients right yeah. now, but it's it's a safe ingredient that would scare not a single person on earth. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of seasoning, yes, sea salt, and, um, and, and that's basically it. I mean, we wanted to keep this ingredient deck as simple as possible mm. um, without sacrificing anything on the manufacturing end. And for the ingredients, I mean, it's nice. We kind of had a, a guidebook of what not to do. Uh, by looking at all of the margarine com- companies that are available right. currently. So we knew what to avoid. That's a, I mean, a good segue to my next question then mm-hmm. is that why does the world need uh, a better butter? Yeah. And aren't, uh, aren't there already ones out there? And what's wrong with the ones that are out there? Sure. So our big MO is to, to make this ubiquitous staple uh, one-to-one uh, alternative that is affordable and accessible. So a lot of the current products... Uh, lack in in you know one or more of those ways. So you don't get the flavor right, you don't get the mouthfeel right, you don't get the functionality. So ours literally is the same as your dairy butter would be. Same macronutrient profile, same taste, same mouthfeel, and you can cook with it, bake with it, spread, melt, all that kind of stuff. Um, all while using clean label sustainable ingredients. Yeah, we, we wanted to draw the line very starkly between a buttery spread mm. and just a butter that has no cow in it. And mm. we really want, wanted and have achieved the latter and have been completely underwhelmed with all of the spreads on the market. Right. No need to name names, but yeah. uh, the people out there know uh, what, what, they're, what they've been struggling with for a couple decades now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and we know that you know in order to have this real social environmental impact, the only way you can convince the masses that this is the right thing um, is kind of through the Trojan horse of having the one-to-one replacer. Mm-hmm. So you have to give someone this what they're expecting with no concessions, with zero behavioral shift. So they buy it the same you know area of the supermarket where they would buy butter in the dairy set. They bring it home, they spread it on toast in the same way, they cook with it in the exact same way. Yeah, and why do you think they would sort of choose it? I mean, one... One is, of course, if someone is already avoiding dairy, this would be a product that that they could obviously consider if it is indeed performing in a way that is more butter-like than a mm-hmm. than a buttery spread. But um, for someone who does consume butter or buy butter, or dairy butter, that is, um, why would they shift to this product? What would be the draw? Is it the price point? Is it the health reasons, mm-hmm. sustainability, all yeah. of it? It's uh, price point, first of all. So we're mm-hmm. coming to the market, mid-market of all your butters. So from private label to, you know, your, your grass-fed butter, we're, you know, five ninety nine for a pound. Um, on top of that, it's clean label. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, and really most importantly, from first glance on a grocery shelf, is that our branding is really, really cool and very millennial-minded and millennial-targeted. So a lot of these butter alternatives, 
uh, they are really lacking and they don't have any, you know, it's a cow jumping over a meadow. That's as far as the branding will ever take you. It doesn't convey a lifestyle. It doesn't, you know, all of that really cool, fun stuff that you can do with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the branding is huge for us. Yeah. We, we obviously started with the product. We wanted to make sure the product was unreal, but a close second was making sure that the branding was mm-hmm. on par with the audience that we're trying to attract. We want people to be compelled with the the communication that that we're bringing to the table and we look to other industries like warby parker in a way making the suitcases and Mm -hmm. and glossier these people who are incredibly transparent about their mission and often have um a, a, a cause that is bigger than themselves and the brand itself underneath to really maximize their impact and and communicate with their audience in a way that uh traditional brands haven't and will continue to not yeah, and you know, you obviously know this, Butter's been going through a bit of a resurgence in recent years. I don't know how I feel about all that because the butter that has been coming back for the last few years is uh, is dairy butter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because of um, all the talk about how saturated fat is mm-hmm. not as, uh, as dangerous as it was once uh, understood to be. And um, there's this whole movement also at the same time that's driving it, which is um, the ketogenic diet mm-hmm. and eating high fat sure. and choosing grass-fed butter as a healthy fat source. Um, and do you think this is a product that people who are latching onto butter for health reasons, mm-hmm. um, do you think it meets those needs? I mean, let's talk about the nutrition profile. How do you stack up against um, dairy butter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the overall caveat here is people will argue forever about what is good for you and what is not, what's going to kill you and what's going to make you live longer. Um, based on the information that we have right now, we like fat. We are unafraid of fat. Our product has high saturated fat, just like a normal dairy butter would that was done on purpose because we wanted to create what people have. Mm -hmm. And we don't think this thing, we don't think fat is killing you. Uh, Every single cell in your body, the membrane is made of fat. Your brain is mostly fat. Uh, There are a number of reasons why fat is is not murdering people like some of the press says it is. Mm -hmm. And if we were to go that really high fat, saturated fat level, we would miss out on a lot of what makes butter butter Mm -hmm. uh, when you put it on your tongue and it releases the dopamines because it feels good and it tastes good and a lot of other butter alts that uh you know either use very processed ingredients or don't have as high fat content miss out on that essential element of butter right right so i mean where do you see so i know butter is just your first flagship product right Mm -hmm. and um we'll talk about your bigger plans of course but let's start you know i'm i'm caught up on butter because you haven't this is your first product and you're just getting started with it um where do you see the app? So this is a product you hope to have in uh, in retail, right? Are you also considering food service? Yeah. Because what you're claiming is your butter does everything regular butter does. So it it, it the op, kind of the op, ways in which you can use it are seemingly endless. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it actually does that, if it actually costs less, and if it is does less of an environmental damage compared to dairy butter, which obviously I'm sure it does less damage, it can have unlimited applications. So where are you focusing on sitting here or with a product mm-hmm. at you know this early stage of your company? What opportunities are you exploring? Yeah. Um, so I think because our butter is so versatile and it is the replacer to real dairy butter, uh, we've seen a lot of interest from the food service end. Um, we've worked with Michelin star chefs already who uh, really love our product and are going to put it into their restaurants as soon as we start selling it to them. Um, so on the front of butter, we feel very confident that that will be a huge, uh, revenue channel for us in conjunction with retail, of course, to build the brand out. Um, but the majority of our early business will be food service, mm-hmm. uh, restaurants, industrial accounts, all of that. Uh, we will eventually release a few more butter skews uh, for retail to, uh, get a brand block on the shelf. So we'll have a whip skew, flavored skew, an organic line, all of that. Uh, and then of course, we will branch out into other tired dairy markets, pudding, whipped cream, frosting. Uh, we probably will never touch milk. I'll probably never touch cheese or yogurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a huge opportunity, and we've already done some R&D into those lines as well. Um, 
probably we will always use aquafaba in our products because of its incredible emulsification properties and the really great dairy-like mouthfeel that that it yields um so we do have really big plans to scale and then that's to say that's not to say that those subcategories that ada mentioned the milk the yogurts the cheeses don't Mm -hmm. need work on the non-dairy front i mean there certainly are exceptions but from a taste functionality and especially branding perspective, there is a lot of work to do. So we're doing our small part, st- starting with butter. Um, yeah. It's almost surprised. I'm almost surprised that there's been so much, uh, which also explains why you've, you've picked this category. And it's, it's one that you've, you've you kind of found a white space that is undoubtedly there because the non-dairy category is, is obviously very crowded. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's. It's, but there's still a lot room, a lot more room for better products in that category as well. But butter has not really been explored too much. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some mm-hmm. decent products, but they all seem to kind of lack something or the other. So mm-hmm. if you can solve this problem, um, and you can solve it at a price point that is attractive to people with a nutritional label that is, um, just like butter and also performs like butter, you can, you can, I can see this definitely being of interest. And of course, you know, I, I, I can talk about the branding stuff for just an hour itself. So I'm not <laughs> going to do that. But if you, if you brand it right and you, you get in front of the right consumers, there's no doubt that you're going to kind of see interest in this kind of product. Right. Right. So, um, what stage is this company in right, right now? I know, um, you've, um, You've got a prototype product. Mm-hmm. What's uh, do you have uh, investors? Are you talking to investors? How do you take this idea that is now turned into a product that you've been working on for a while? You've got the brand. You've got a story. How do you take this now to the next level? What are you working on right now? Um, we have everything we need to start selling right now. Uh, we just launched at the Fancy Food Show. Uh, we saw great, great responses from from you know buyers, distributors, brokers, media. Uh, we were, we kind of were the darlings of the show, I guess you could say. It's really <laughs> nice. Um, but right now, we're really trying to secure as many purchase orders as possible on both the food service and, and retail front. So a lot of the really big buyers have our products at their offices right now and are doing all of their testing and mm-hmm. they're getting our sell sheets and everything. Um, we're going to launch a Kickstarter campaign, which is kind of just a nice little PR thing for us before we hit retail. And then we're opening up our seed round uh, come like first or second week of April. And we've already been courting uh, many, many investors um, within the plant-based sphere. So really value-add investors for our seed round who who are mission-driven and who have knowledge of uh, the plant-based and dairy space. Got it. So you're in the next few months are sort of crucial for your um, for laying the foundations of what is going to be the future of uh, for our foods, really. Correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah, we have. Yes, this is a big time. Yeah, big time right here. And and just from the interest from retail and food service alone, we know we're going to have to raise a, a nice sum so that we can support those campaigns. Uh, you know, with with our promos and marketing and you know sales staff and everything. So um, we're at a very interesting inflection point. Right. So in terms of when you were at the fancy food show, which uh, happened in San Francisco right, mm-hmm. recently, how do you showcase your products? Do you um, have it in different forms? Tell me more about that. I mean, how can I can't believe people are just coming around and putting you know, tablespoons of butter in their mouth. Yeah. yeah we, Although some people might do that. Yeah. yeah. At first, when the conversation started, we figured that would be a pretty boring approach. <laughs> like, of course, it's butter. So you just slap it on toast and yeah. feed it to people and shove it in their mouths. Uh, it turns out that was half of our strategy, and the other half is a little bit more enticing. Mm. We bought a tailor-made popcorn machine. <laughs> it's all okay. swagged out with these stickers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it it so we wanted something that was uh, that highlighted what the butter could do. You mm. know, we got comments throughout the entire weekend saying this tastes just like normal movie popcorn. Mm. We're like. That's the best compliment we could get. We don't want it to taste like anything but. And it's social, and we had branded bags that people were carrying them around. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's what we want the brand to be. Like It's fun. Mm -hmm. It's social. You tell your friends about it. You spread the word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not You don't do that with a butter brand. You you just don't. 
Yeah, and the popcorn machine is really something we're, we're trying to play up on as much as possible uh, by hosting like movie night pop-ups around the launch and everything. But it's uh-huh. great, you know, for instance, when you're doing a demo at Whole Foods and you have a custom branded popcorn machine with custom branded bags where people will walk around the store uh-huh. and have more of a reason to come up to you. And it's a really great way to engage consumers as well. Oh, I like that idea that you're trying to make butter fun, which is, you know, butter is something that people enjoy. And but we've kind of taken the joy away from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know it's it's if you think of all the foods that that are buttery and good, that there's usually a fun element to it. Of course, no one's saying you should be literally sitting and eating tubs of butter yeah. every day, but right. it's a product that I'm sure everyone uses in some form, um, a couple of times a week, if not every day. Right. Um, have you all actually tested your product in? Because um, I didn't even think of popcorn when we were talking about your product earlier but uh have you tested the product how it functions in different foods that Mm -hmm. are notoriously buttery yeah of course we've we've uh through our work with chefs and these michelin star chefs Mm -hmm. they've done it in a host of recipes uh so because we function in the exact same way as dairy butter literally anything you put butter into you can use our product as as Mm -hmm. a replacer um so we've made kawinaman we've made croissants which you just had um, and I think our croissants would really make a, a French chef, a pastry chef proud. So uh, we're really confident in the full range of functionality of our butter. Yeah, I tried the croissants before we got started here. And uh, I, have, I have not had a croissant like this since I gave <laughs> up uh, dairy nearly eight years ago now. So that's the goal. I appreciate it. So you guys are onto something for sure. So sort of uh, what's... Uh, after you raise the round, are you working? Are you talking to distributors? Are you in you know, in conversations with? Um, what about a co-packer? Do you have one already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't want to go to any VCs without having our scalable recipe, our co-packer, mm-hmm. our you know pri- our brand positioning, and our brand in place. Those are all the key elements. We want to be obviously as buttoned up as possible for when we do our fundraising because. The fundraising is the gate into like launching our food service and retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we are we're ready to to hit the ground running. Like I said, we're already trying to secure some purchase orders or at least some LOIs yeah. before you know until we get in a really nice valuation. Um, and we have a lot of interest already, so uh, we're going to get those contracts signed as soon as possible. Yeah, and I sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're we're definitely. It may seem this way. We're trying to move. As, as fast as we can without obviously making any mistakes, uh, which is impossible. Mm. But, um, you know, that this is a category that sucks mm. and uh, just starting super, super low scale and building it up over many, many years uh, just isn't all that intriguing to us. We want to go right now mm-hmm. and we want to build this up as soon as we can. And our partners along the way will help us achieve uh, that momentum and that growth. Right. And I think that's something that I want to talk about right now is that we have built out a really incredible team. And I think we have some really strong social capital and our advisory board uh, is made up of people who are tried and true industry professionals who know what they're doing. Um, and wherever we have shortcomings as young entrepreneurs, you know, we're not naive. Mm. Uh, our team picks up the slack and, 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 really gets us you know all of our connections and will help us wherever we need it right so what's the most uh what's the toughest thing that you've had to deal with in the last um, few months since you've been ramping up this uh product and going out there and hoping to get investment what's mm-hmm. the biggest challenge out there for you at the moment at least um well really i think i think it's the hardest thing is uh, as conservative as you can be with the amount of early capital you need to just you know bootstrap and get mm-hmm. it to, to this point. Uh, it's it's a lot of money. Um, my previous company didn't require as much capital because uh, we're launching on a completely different scale right now. Um, I mean, from everything else, our product's great. We have great connections. I mean, that's the easy part, which really is usually hard for most people. Yeah. But but just, you know, making sure that we're staying on top of all of our finances because we have legal fees, we have advisors, we have, you know, just a host full of, of uh, costs that just are always jumping at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you reach out to these? Um, did you know the advisors that mm-hmm. you work with right now? Because one of the things I think a lot of people who are looking at this space from the outside 
our thinking is that, well, I got to just find an interesting little white space. I've got to work with someone who can come up with, uh, with a, someone with a culinary, culinary focus who can help me develop a product. And then I got to go pitch VCs, which is, I don't think is the right way to do it. There's, um, you, it seems like you both have put in a lot of thought into it even before you got started, which is always the better way to do it because you never know what you don't know. You're your best if you do as much prep as you can um, before you even take a leap and try to ask people for money because mm -hmm. just money with no plan is going to be a waste of time and, right. and you're going to waste that money too. <laughs> yep. True. Um, so are you, you're asking how we met mm -hmm. these advisors. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, we, we have some pretty extensive networks in the food world and, and we just reached out to people whom we respect and were inspired by. And a majority of them were very excited to pay it forward. Um, because somebody helped them initially. And that's really reflective of the food climate right now. The, I mean, it, it's, it's, we think it's a really exciting new industry to be a part of. Granted, it's difficult to get started. There's a lot to learn, um, a huge learning curve to get to the point where we are now. And if we didn't have our previous experiences, like I said, it would have been much more difficult. Um, but of course, right now, I want to give a shout out to uh, David Benzikin, Mike Lee, Terry Romero, and Andrew Ive who are a part of our core advisory team right now. And from the very love beginning, you. <laughs> love you guys from the very beginning, they've uh, really given us their all and have helped us with every st strategic decision. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really hugely important to us. Yeah. They've become dear friends and very dispassionate advisors to us when we're missing something though. They're pretty unafraid to step in and say that you guys are being dumb, yeah. Uh, which is great, and and that has really humbled us over the past several months. Yeah, and humility is key for sure, because you know as much you want to have you, your own conviction with every decision you make, but you gotta understand that there are people who are willing to help you who know what to do better than you do. Right. I mean, I think that's true no matter what business you're doing, no matter what stage in life. Um, you guys obviously are just getting started off and pretty early on in your entrepreneurship journey but to to have that perspective early on is very crucial mm -hmm. you are still going to make mistakes um no matter how much good advice you get and um some of the things you can't predict are going to be mistakes you're going to do everything that you think is right you're going to follow all the advice and things are still going to go wrong <laughs> and um that's just part of the fun of all of it so. sure yeah and hopefully we've safeguarded ourselves from the the majority of really difficult, bad situations to be in by having a great product, a great team, yeah. great branding. So, you know. So what does all of this sort of mean to you now that you're kind of um, on the runway, ready to lift off, right? Mm -hmm. And um, where do you see this? What I mean, we started off talking about the why of, of, of um, For Our Foods to begin with, and you, we both talked about sustainability what kind of impact do you hope this company is going to make um, starting with butter and then who knows what? Yeah, um, we, we kind of see Fora as part of a greater collective uh, in inspiring a paradigm shift in the way people are eating now. So to a, a, a more plant-based diet or at least less meat-intensive diet that we see in you know, Western culture. So while we are targeting these dairy alternatives in conjunction, you have Beyond Meat, impossible foods who are getting people off of meat so we kind of see ourselves all working together to get at this eventual goal um, we will never want to overextend ourselves we have a very clear mission and that is to always offer the one-to-one -one replacers to these dairy products um, these very tired dairy products uh, i do believe that that's the way to, to get there um, mm -hmm. is is by offering the products that people uh, you know the with no behavioral shift yeah. yeah. I mean, you read a Seth Godin marketing book and he mm -hmm. says, focus on a super narrow set of your super fans, so to speak. And <clears throat> I mean, if we really were to do that on a whiteboard, that would be vegans who are less than 1% of the US population. Mm -hmm. uh, we can do better than that. And the only way you're going to reach everyone else, the the flexitarians and even even the, the non-flexitarians, the people who just like really don't give a shit about any mm -hmm. of the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. The, the only way that they will ever bat an eyelash at your idea uh, especially something as personal as food is mm. if you create, you recreate that experience that they I mean, first and on. foremost, your product has to be this has to deliver, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. If it doesn't deliver this point, there's no point in having a, you know, a conversation about what impact it's going to make because that person who's in the grocery store and seeing, um, you know, fava butter 
is going to probably not care mm-hmm. uh, after they try it once and never buy it again. So, you know, branding is important. Telling the benefits from a health standpoint or from a nutritional clean label standpoint or from the fact that it is uh, undoubtedly going to be better for the environment mm-hmm. and this is all part of your mission. If you can't back that up firstly with a product that functions, you can't achieve that. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier as well. Part of this behavioral shift we were talking about, a lot of people... I was telling a story of a friend of mine who says he's never going to give up uh, meat. He's never, he could never be vegan. You know, of course there's tons of people out there who say that. Um, I know a lot of them um, somehow (laughs) (laughs) that claim that will never go vegan. And I keep telling them all, it's fine. I'm not telling you to go vegan. And we were once um, chatting and he mentioned, I I started asking him like, what products do you buy at the grocery store? Like what brand of um, butter and what brand of mayo and I found out that he was accidentally buying a vegan meal mm-hmm. and uh, didn't even know it was vegan and yeah. just preferred the taste of it. And I think that was a sign. I think that was a moment for me as well to realize that, you know, this is the way we're going to bring about change. We're going to replace each and every one of those products just because you're going to come up with better ones mm-hmm. that perform better, that cost also likely cheaper but you're not compromising on quality by buying something cheaper and you're not, you know, you're not compromising um, on um, the ability for that product to do what you would expect, say, a butter or mm-hmm. a mayo to do. So I think that's a crucial part a lot of people don't understand is that mm-hmm. it's not, there's other ways to tackle this problem. This isn't all about people going vegan or not. Frankly, this is the much more sustainable and effective way. And seems like it's already starting to happen. Yeah, you're never going to convince people to change their beliefs uh, by by yelling at them or holding up posters or throwing paint on people. That yeah. just, it doesn't work. The way that you convince people uh, to change is by just offering something that is the same, you know, that they're used to, that uh, you imbue that in, in a really uh, understandable way, um, kind of assimilated in. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting. I think what, what I want to play up on too is that we don't say that we're vegan on our packaging. The mm-hmm. way we communicate these values, um, we say we're plant-based, uh, which is a much sexier term. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves as kind of the vegan 2.0, where we are uh, going after the same goals as the vegan community, but we're doing so in a less aggressive way um, and in a way that really will have more impact on a larger scale. And I think you see a lot of these traditional NGOs, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, channeling a lot of their marketing uh, to focus on food companies because everyone's starting to recognize that that is ultimately more impactful than any uh, aggressive campaign could ever be. Yeah, we know that grownups are just hyper-emotional babies that are a little <laughs> bit bigger, and uh, they're very susceptible to terms like vegan that are yeah. politically loaded, and we're not trying to scare anyone away. We're trying to invite them in. For it is a friend of yours, not a company trying to push a product on you. Mm. Uh, you should be able to trust us because we're giving you what you're used to. You know, and, and labels are an interesting topic in itself. At the end of the day, I've, um, I can see both sides. I know some, some, and I don't want to get into discussion around the vegan label necessarily, but I think labels are a, lo- a loaded terms. You know, as much as I like branding and marketing and i think you know terms and labels and brands can play a crucial function as identifiers sometimes they tend to acquire certain traits um because of how they're used that then become um a bit of a burden that you want don't want to carry along with you and i think you know forget about labeling a product vegan or not that's just one small tiny uh part of the discussion i think the bigger discussion here which we've um kind of touched on is it is about the underlying benefits of the product that are more important the underlying uh thought process behind why someone should choose to eat something that's plant-based versus not is what's more important what do you choose to call it is irrelevant right i always tell people call it vegan call it whatever you want to you can ignore the facts that it is uh, using less resources, it is better for the planet, and it is most likely better for your health. Um, and not to mention, uh, you don't have to unnecessarily abuse and slaughter an animal to produce it. It's it's a win-win. You want to call that 
vegan, go ahead. You want to call that better for you product or plant-based or sustainable, whatever term works for you. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be important for brands in this entire industry to start to um, carve their own stories that go beyond just the we are plant-based. Because I think eventually you're going to have every category full of crowded with plant-based products. And then what's going to be most important above and beyond the taste of your product um, is going to be what do you mean to the end consumer? Um, are you are, and that's where things like being a fun brand, uh, being able to connect with a certain segment of the consumer base that identifies with the product um, and know what that stands for. Like, is Fora all about fun? Is Fora about having fun and saving the world? Those are the kind of questions that are going to make you and your company, or any company for that matter, stand out in a future world where I believe majority of products you'll find in a place like Whole Foods or any other grocery store will be plant-based or vegan. The fact that they're plant-based and vegan won't even matter. That's mm -hmm. my point. Because they all will kind of be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you elaborated on that because I'm uh, one one brand certainly comes to mind, a peer of ours in the butter alt subcategory. Mm -hmm. And that brand has done a remarkable job really championing the, the V word. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and, and that works for that brand. So there's definitely room for whatever you want to call yourself yeah. as long as you're doing it effectively. Yeah, it's kind of like the same back story I was mentioning is that I'm some people will never go plant-based vegan or uh, call themselves flexitarian even, but are... You know, when you strip all the labels and you actually see their behaviors, they're probably all doing it. And that's more right. powerful than saying, I'm wearing X, you know, a badge... Uh, I'm so, some sort of a label on my head. Right. I, I mean, it all comes down to really taste. If you mm -hmm. have something that tastes good, people will buy it yeah. uh, and it feels good. And that's exactly what we are delivering on. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of touched on um, where do you see your products going beyond butter? Um, what's the kind of vision for the company? If to the extent you can have a bit of a long-term vision right now, at least the next three to five years, I'm sure you've looked ahead and that's, You've kind of got a roadmap. What does that look like for, mm -hmm. for your company? Uh, for our company, I believe that we will have national retail distribution. Uh, we will have international food service distribution. People will know the brand. Uh, they'll trust it. They'll, they'll, that'll be their first choice in the grocery store when they're buying dairy products. Uh, and I don't say dairy alternative. I say dairy products because they will see ours as just another dairy product, essentially, even mm -hmm. though it's dairy-free, of course. Um, we'll have a bigger team. Um, we'll have more money to work with for R&D. Uh, yeah, that's where we'll be. People yeah. will know who we are. And we'll be very methodical with the the product rollout. I mean, starting with butter, maximal impact. You look at milks, like you mentioned earlier in the mm -hmm. interview, 10% of the market share, if not more. Uh, yogurts are doing fine. I mean, we, we ended up on butter because, yes, we remember it from the fridge at home growing up, mm -hmm. but also there were brands in cheese, milk, and yogurt that we already, at least to some degree, admired. Mm -hmm. So we just said, eh, let's just let these guys do that, and yeah. hopefully it gets better over time. And if it doesn't, then maybe we'll reintroduce ourselves at a later date to kind of, you know, disrupt something that needs to be a little bit better. Right, right. And, you know, I'm sure you've been asked this question, but what about all the people that are going to hear about faba butter and be like, uh, so that's fake butter, isn't that margarine? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we've already been dealing with that yeah. at Fancy Food Show. <laughs> There's always an element of consumer education. That's, yeah. But, you know, that's part of it. Um, and we are assuming that burden confidently. Um, and we think it's going to be a lot easier to, for instance, explain what aquafaba is and what the benefits are because our product really tastes good. And it's not, it's, it's, that's the hard part to get over. The easy part is to kind of explain what it is and why. Yeah. Yeah, sure. If someone's really, really hard on that point, we will concede and say, sure, this doesn't come from a cow, <laughs> but taste this and look at the ingredient deck and then we yeah. can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ingredient deck is really crucial because at the end of the day, a lot of people always will assume that uh, if it's not from a cow, it's not quote unquote natural, um, whatever that means anymore. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the point. That's where you will have to... Um, that's what this space needs it more than any other is this uh, ability to communicate 
who you are, what you are, what your product is all about. And you have to consistently say that story because if you don't, someone else is going to say that story for you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. And before you know it, people are avoiding your product because they've, someone mentioned, someone said it has something in it that it probably doesn't even have. Right. Yeah, that's true. So um, let's look far ahead. What is your sort of um, vision for the year uh, 2050? I asked this of everyone. If you <laughs> yeah, look ahead 30 years totally. from now, for our foods, Let's not talk about four our foods. Let's talk about four our foods as part of being Absolutely. this entire right. ecosystem the, the of companies. Conglomerate, right? Yeah, that's going to transform our food industry and going to get people to shift away from this unsustainable way of eating. Yeah. Uh, whether they know it or not, whether they call themselves vegan, flexitarian, mm -hmm. anything. Um, before you know it, we're going to be in a place where hopefully these companies are going to be successful and you're going to be successful. If you could... You know, look ahead. What kind of world do you want to see in 2050? What's your version of that? Um, from an industry's perspective, firstly, I think a lot of the big meat and dairy companies uh, are going to start not only investing more, but also really switching up their internal supply chains to support more plant-based products. I mean, these supply chains that have existed for centuries, they're finally going to uproot them because they see an opportunity, a financial opportunity, as well as an environmental and social cause. Um, and then on a micro level, when you go to a restaurant, the what you order is not going to be as meat centric. Um, you you know talk about someone like Dan or Dan Barber, Third Plate has really been promoting this kind of thing. Uh, vegetables will be the center of the plate. Meat will be on the side. Maybe it'll even be clean meat by that point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really interested to see where that's going, uh, especially for you know the quote unquote flexitarian people who will never give up meat. Well, you don't have to because clean meat is here. And then in conjunction, all of these other incredible uh, plant based products. Yeah. And just as a bookend, I think from a more philosophical point of view, I mean, 2050, we should be eating that is in better harmony with the world around us. And uh, it's really hard to, or I guess it's really easy to get lost in your phone, for example. I think your phone's a great example. And we were on the train here uh, taking the one up and we were you know, talking, but also like on our phones <laughs> most of the time too. Uh, this is the reality we live in, but uh, looking up from your phone for a second and realizing the beauty around us mm -hmm. and the, the hurt that we really are um, forcing upon it and knowing that we can make a small difference in just the way that you eat every single day, which is mm -hmm. something everyone shares, uh, is, is a really powerful sentiment. So that, that mindset change would be really exciting. Yeah. We want people to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with that. I'm totally on board with that. I um, like what you're trying to do over here. I like the way you approach um, entrepreneurship. And um, you seem to have a pretty rational and pr um, practical view of things. And most importantly, uh, after I tried it today, I like your product. So mm, I nice. wish you the best. I think it's going to be uh, a fun, interesting ride. And I look forward to following it and uh, seeing amazing things from Forest Foods. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks so much for the time, Neil. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.